0: All right. Figuring it out, family. I had the opportunity and privilege to interview J.P. Harrington from J.P. Golf. J.P.'s a really interesting and awesome guy. Uh, He's from the Midwest, from Wisconsin, um, and now he's based in San Diego, California, Vista, technically. Uh, And he makes the most incredible wedges you've ever seen in your life. Um, They're super aesthetic. Uh, Some of the finishes that he uses on his wedges are incredible. And like nothing you've ever seen, they look like an art piece. They look like they could sit in a gallery. I have yet to hit them, but from what I've heard and read online, the performance in the wedges themselves are absolutely incredible as well. So JP, again, is a super interesting guy. Uh, I'm really excited for you guys to hear him out uh, in this long-form content um, if you enjoyed the interview, check him out online. Uh, his website's jpgolf.com. You can also check his Instagram out. He posts a lot of really cool, interesting, and engaging content at jpgolfco. Before we dive into the interview, please do me a favor and give me a five-star ranking on Spotify. Give me a five-star ranking on Apple Music. Wherever you're consuming this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you would you know, give me a rating, but then also share it with your friends. I love podcasting. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, It's just a big passion of mine. Um, And at the end of the day, I just want to provide you guys with cool and interesting perspectives into the world of golf. So I'd really appreciate if you shared this uh, with your friends, your loved ones, um, to just get the word out and let people know uh, kind of what we have going on on this podcast. So without further ado, here's the episode. hope you enjoy. JP, how's it going? Good, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. No, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, Like, I think you're, you know, like a living legend, and I feel like this is such an amazing opportunity. Thank you for coming on and giving you, you know, the opportunity to interview you.
1: Oh yeah, well, thanks for reaching out and uh, a fan of your work, so I'm I'm glad to be a part of it. I appreciate that.
0: All right, so I just want to say I was on your Instagram the other day, yesterday actually. I saw those tortoiseshell JP Premier wedges, and I had never seen anything like that in my life. And like it just blows my mind what you're able to do with, you know, like your craftsmanship and you know, like the aesthetics and then the performance on top of everything. Like I'm I don't know, I'm just blown away. Yeah, well thanks, man. Uh, you know, it's a it's
1: a lot of fun getting in the shop and, and you know, creating something unique and, and different with, you know, the materials that you have and what you can do with those and, and that's what really gets me going is, you know, being creative, creating new things and and, you know, pushing the pushing the boundaries and uh doing what I love.
0: Before we get into your background and like how you got into wedges and your whole story, just curious, like who for you personally is on the Mount Rushmore of like golf club, uh, designers, golf club makers. And we're talking like four to five guys who sort of stand out in your mind as like maybe your inspiration or guys who, you know, played a big role in sort of where things have gotten to where they are today.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, first off I got to pay homage to the, the great Don White, um, Hall of Fame, club builder, club grinder. Um, You know, when I had some time at, was at Cool Clubs uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, I was able to go out and visit uh, Don White, uh, Ed McGregor at the time in Georgia. And, you know, he's ground clubs, irons and wedges for, for the greats, you know, a ton of major wins. And so he was, you know, welcomed me in with open arms and I got to sit right next to him uh, as he ground a, a whole set of irons and wedges for a few days, and ask all the questions I want, um, and so you know Don White, you know is is my number one. I'd say mm-hmm. um, he's doing uh, some great things still to this day with a uh, national custom, and um, you know Don White really taught me how to measure bounce um, with a protractor. So and and even even he taught me how to correctly hit a handstand you know Mm -hmm. because I had this one hand stamp I remember and it was kind of a large surface area and I'm like hitting it right right dead center you know and it's like uh, it's not he's not making the impression and you know and I'm like I got a question Don you know and he's like so he's like come over here you know on this he's got this old lead lead hammer and it's just it was just the coolest experience but he's saying you got to start with the edges you got to work that you got to work that top edge all the way around and then you can finish to the middle. so it's like you know, he hit that thing like 10, 12, 15 times just to get the depth right, the all that stuff. And so then, you know, it's like, you know, the light bulb goes off type of thing. And so then I got back and I, you know, practiced that. And it's the art of, even if you're stamping, a, you know, like a letter A or something on, or any just single letter, you know, you got to start. One of the last thing you ever want to do is have a double hit <laughs> or uh, you know so it's um, but you want to really work that stamp so it's evenly depth from the top to the bottom all the way around and so then it, you know it's going to look you know really nice and premium that way and you can finish off with a little um, metal finishing wheel and stuff
0: like that. how long did it take you to perfect that just curious I mean it sounds like have you, you probably have messed up some wedges I, I also want to like inspire people and talk like it take it takes time to get to be like a legend you know what I mean like I'm assuming you've spent hours stamping, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. What uh, you know, it, it a lot of hours in. I mean, they say that you know that whole ten thousand hour right. um, rule, but uh, yeah, I mean, you you make a lot of mistakes, and that's that's how you um, really. I've been able, you know, fail fast. You say right, you know. So if you're you're doing something, you, you're like, oh, that didn't really go out the way I wanted, and then you're like then something like oh well i could do this with it to try to save it. how do i save this thing and then you know um a new idea might come to mind and and, and that whole thing but so you know you can't be scared of uh of messing up because right. at the end of the day that's a lot of uh you know how i get my ideas is fit, is you know failing fast right and then learning from what you did and your mistakes you've done and then uh, you know growing that way so that's been big but yeah i've i've hit a lot of a lot of hand stamps. I still have my original mallet. You know, it's a brass-headed uh, mallet. Where you know, from back in the garage shop days, still use that same one. And I mean, it's just like a huge impression in that head of that thing from all the hits.
0: It's like Tiger's putter, like his Scotty. You know, have you seen that thing on Instagram? It's like yeah, I have. Has yeah. This it's, little... it's like yeah.
1: it's kind of like that, right? You know, yeah. You know, I I, I like to say you know I have that same dime size. A uh, wear spot on my mallet that he is precision
0: at, <laughs> yeah. his clubs. all right so we got donald white or don white from mcgregor so we got three other three to four other spots i mean technically if you look at Mel rushmore there's actually four i had to google it there's four presidents so we can
1: all right well what are your presidents who are your presidents
0: uh that's a good question i don't know i couldn't, I couldn't tell you okay
1: anyways well you know don white big huge influence uh on me and then, you know, you can look at what Scotty Cameron has done. And, you know, as an artist myself, I really, at the end of the day, you want to build all the the performance into it um, and not sacrifice performance, uh, but still make it look good, make it timeless. And for me, I like to make it a you know, piece of art as well. Um, and so seeing what Scotty Cameron has done over the years in his aesthetics, um, you know, that has been you know, a big influence. When I was at uh, hot sticks and cool clubs, starting out learning that art of club building, you know, we, I was, I started out modifying existing manufacturers products, um, whether it was on wedges, doing heel toe grinds, making it a little more versatile for to open up the face um, for wedges. But then in putters, you know, when I started out, it was a lot of those club heads were 330 grams. And now, now you know, that stock putter weight with, let's say, that new port might be like 350, right? So we, we'd inlay tungsten on the heel and the toe to get, you know, let's say that old school pterillium up to up to heavier weight. And so um, and I worked on, uh, you know, modifying his stuff and other things like that. And so then seeing what he'd done aesthetically, you know, it definitely influenced, you know, what what could I do, you know, with my own my own taste and my own touch. And mm-hmm. so those are two big, you know, big ones there and some great experiences. And I was able to meet Scotty and spend some time with him when I was at Titleist. So um, that was, you know, some great, great experiences. At the end of the day, you know, they, you know, you're know, kind of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. I didn't create the golf club. I didn't create the wedge. I didn't invent the wedge, right? And there's all these people that, um, you know, come come before you and so um you take you know what they have done and and learn from that and then
0: try to create your own your own twist yeah for sure no it's incredible like you said standing on the heads of giants or the shoulders of giants like there's some some giants at Titleist right I mean right yeah you know yeah
1: and then you go into Bob Volkey, what he's done uh in his career um and as well as Roger Cleveland. So, you know, you got, there's, there's four quick ones right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more out there um, that, you know, maybe um, didn't get into the, uh, the limelight as much as like a, a Bob Volke or Scotty or, um, you know, Roger Cleveland, you got Clay Long and what he's done over a Titleist. Or, I'm sorry, Taylor made mm-hmm. um, uh, with some of his designs and, um gosh you know there's just there's a lot of them out there whether it's you know some of my travels to Japan and learning with the master grinder Okamira-san at Kyoi Forging House things like that there's just a a lot of underground talent out there I feel like I should make a you know I want to make like a a show where I go around to all these great places and, and talk shop with these guys and have like a grind session or something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I can show you, you how to
0: do the podcast if you want Yeah, to there you go. You want to come? Yeah. yeah. Road <laughs> trip. That'd Let's be good do it, trip. man. That'd be awesome. <laughs> all right. So before we get into Japan, because I think that that's something that I'm like super interested in, like I love culture, you know, um, and like travel and whatnot. And and I guess part of before we I guess, just kind of like an ode to these guys, it sounds like there's a lot of tribal knowledge that's sort of like passed through like from one greatest of all time to the, to the, to the next, you know what I mean? That's kind mm-hmm. of like the vibe I get as an outsider. Obviously I don't know, but it's just interesting to see. Cause when you think of craftsmanship, it just seems like that's, that's like a big part of it is like these, these legends kind of getting together and like sort of sharing their secrets kind of down the line as like a rite of passage. Do you, do you agree? Or like, what is that like from you? For yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's for me, you know, um, I love what I do and, um, I get really passionate about it you know somebody comes and visits my shop I, it's exciting for me to kind of show what I'm what I'm doing um an example of that for me um not to say I'm up in the stratosphere with these with Don White and, and Volkey and Cleveland and all that stuff but I had a you know as I after my time with Titleist um there's Jacob Sanborn uh the Wedge Wizard I'm not sure if you're familiar with him but he works with Callaway now but he has his own a custom wedge thing he was going on, so I went to his garage and we had a a session and kind of showed him. You know, took I had some old bill blanks that I had in a little grind session and you know and and kind of passing that knowledge is fun. It's a it's a fun thing and I think it is a bit of a a rite of passage of of you know of uh, growing the game and 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 doing and showcasing artists and craftsmen and and because everybody does their own unique thing and I think it's a good thing.
0: All right. So let's dive in a little bit to your story. I think you have like one of the coolest stories uh, based on reading your website and hearing other, you know, interviews with you. I kind of want to take it back to, you know, the Wisconsin days, you know, your high school, you're winning, you know, runner, your, your, your team wins. You're like the runner up, like you're a stick always. But then like, let's, I guess, get from there to, to college and like, just start from there. You're at Arizona, like, or Arizona state, right? Like, yeah, let's yeah,
1: when out to Arizona State, you know, I love golf, obviously playing golf, uh, but I also loved equipment. I was one of those kids that would go in and and uh could go stand all, all day and the golf you know golf galaxy and things right. like that um i remember getting my first set of cleveland rtgs and i wrapped them in a wet washcloth because i'm like i heard they're supposed to rust right i'm like okay <laughs> so i wrapped it in a wet washcloth overnight put them in my mom's tub and stained her stained her bathtub you know like, that was one of my first experiences of, of uh customizing a wedge you know early days but ended up going out to uh Arizona State, the PGM program, I thought that was a way to get into the golf industry, and I just wanted to find a path in the equipment side of golf, and fortunate for me, I was able to get my first internship uh, with Hot Sticks Golf right on that rise of custom club fitting, and so uh, I went over there and, and uh, got my first internship there, and that's where I learned the, the art of custom club building from drivers you know, to putters and anywhere in between where you know, they got a the client's got a fitting and then you get this build receipt, build ticket, and you're supposed to this length, this swing weight, this new shafts going in, so to this frequency and, and so that was a really you know, that was just awesome. You know, that was just uh the perfect start for a guy like me to learn the best way to build golf clubs. And I would say, you know, from a hot sticks golf standpoint then and then now cool, you know, Mark Timms is the owner and then moved to cool clubs. I mean, they're, you know, the cream of the crop in terms of club building. So I was fortunate to get my start there. Um, uh, yeah, so I started there, um, learning that. You know, Hot Sticks had a a, a grind, couple grinders and a, a bridgeport milling machine, and they were doing those heel-toe grinds and, and inlaying some tungsten for the weight that they lost with the grinding process. And so after I learned... Um, the club build art of club building, you know. I'm always about like what's next, you know, because um, I was I was in it and like it got me right. So um, I remember going in there, um, watching uh, Trapper Steinley. He was the the custom guy who's doing the grindies.
0: Trapper, he, so he
1: taught Trapper taught me. Yeah, sounds like a I know he's he's a cool dude, man. Um, and he he taught me the. I remember being on the first wheel. I had this this wedge and he's like, All right, we're gonna do a heel grind on remove some of that bulk from the heel so you can open the face a little bit more, put a little that kind of thin out that heel area, which I still do today to this day on my wedges, cuts through the grass and stuff easier. I remember like touching that that club on the on the grinder for the first time and it like kinda of bu- bucked at me a little bit and I was Wait, like, Whoa. So this is know. the
0: first time you ever touched one? With first Trapper? The first right.
1: time ever, yeah, with Trapper, you know, and then he just said, Hey, you know, just, just feel it. And I'm like, okay. You know, so then you just, you, you get that feeling of laying it on the wheel and then throwing some sparks and then shaping something. And then it was, you know, off to the races. So then I learned that, um, you know, through his tutelage and another guy, Greg Garcia over there, um, to the point where I was able to do a custom project all by myself. My first Mm -hmm. one, right. Heel toe grind, inlaid some tungsten, um, and it turned out well. And then, you know, it's a tedious process to do it, and I just kept volunteering, like, as custom projects came in. i like, I'll do it, I'll do it, and then progressed that way and did a lot of work with putters as well, doing that same type of deal. Um And then, you know, what really did it, you know, at my time at, at Cool Clubs was Aaron Baddeley. Um He was a, a regular at Hot Sticks and ended up, I, I got to kind of be – and do a lot of work on his clubs and he'd come in every two weeks and, and get his loft and lies uh done on his irons, you know, and that's another really important thing out there is getting making sure your lie angles are correct and that, you know, um that they're consistent and get them rebent and things like that to make sure, you know, they're they're uh, bent for you and they're not moving around on you. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, he came in and he had a he had a set of McGregor irons, you know, that Don White had made um, but the, the heel had a, a real boxy heel and toe on it. Right. And he's, he wanted a, he had an idea of putting, removing some of that heel area on there to help it go through the turf a little bit, uh, better. And so. Wait, did
0: you know Don White at this time or is this. No, just, I didn't know. Just a no, preface is, it. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 This is a preface. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't up to speed on, on Don White at that time. Um, so we did that little heel toe. Heel more of a heel grind on on the, like a three six and nine iron, and then he was in there on the in the room with me. I, like we're going back and forth. And, okay, yeah, this looks good, right? And so next day he took him out um and he hit him. And he's like, you know, I really really like him. So could you finish the rest of the set? Mm-hmm. So I took him and I I mashed up the rest of the set, the whole set of irons, and I think that was on like a Monday. He came in Tuesday, hit a matched up Wednesday, and then I got him to him. And then Friday he said, you know. I'm going to put him in the bag next week. So, first, so the Which first tournament? week, in the, it was the uh, Heritage on the East Coast. And uh, the first uh, um, week in the bag, he got his first PGA Tour win. So I'm like, oh,
0: man. Got the Midas touch, JP. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah right. So, you know, I, uh, yeah, so that was a huge defining moment. and was like, well, you know, I can do, I want to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So then it's just, you know, going in and in the tunnel vision and stacking days on each other and and trying to, you know, just keep learning and doing what you love. So that's, that's what I chose to do. And uh, after my time at Hot Sticks, Mark Timms had left Hot Sticks at that time to start up this new venture called Cool Clubs. And so I ended up um, going over there to Cool Clubs. And um, that's where, you know, Mark gave me a lot of creative uh, freedom to be like the custom design studio manager, where I would, I was able to, I created my own logo, um, got a stamp made up. and then Is that the JP
0: able- logo we see today? Because I yeah, know it's you use JP that at logo. Yeah. okay.
1: To this day, I remember, you know, at in college at the PGM program, you know, in class, I remind I was doodling, you know, not paying attention, thinking about golf clubs probably. And I, I sketched up the JP logo in class at Arizona state and yeah. that's how it came to be, you know, so then at, at hot, uh, at cool clubs and then I got my stamp and then I, I my JP stamp and all, my, all the custom wedges that I did again at that stage it was just modifying existing manufacturer's products mm-hmm. and then you know I was able to get a little more artistic freedom at that time so um, to mess around with different unique fit, finishes platings and then that hand stamping came into play mm-hmm. um, but then just to touch back on that Aaron Battley, uh iron um, set that I did at, while I was at Hot Sticks at the time and then um, Aaron liked it right and so they'd have to get new irons they wear out you know the next set so then Don White put my grind on Aaron Baddeley's irons from there going forward well it was time with, with McGregor so it was like oh, wow. wow you know um, then coming full circle at cool clubs I was able to go visit Don White um, and then so that whole scenario was a, a really kind of a, a surreal moment for yeah, me it's like and meant to
0: be it sounds like you were the meant stars to be. aligned right yeah. so, like, so like for you because you'd mentioned putters drivers like you'd worked on all these clubs like was there a defining moment or like what was the moment where you're like i want to do wedges versus anything else
1: no that's a good great question it was really you know at uh, my time at, at cool clubs um, and you know i was modifying those existing manufacturers' products and. And the common thread was like, you know, they have all like crisp crisper leading edges, you know, mm-hmm. more sharp the traditional wedge wedge out there, right? They're a little a little crisper. And then when I'd add like that heel toe grind, I'd remove that extra material so it would open up easier. And then I put a little trailing edge grind which reduces a little sole width. And then, you know, I got some feedback and it's like, well god, they, they dig a lot a lot more, right? You know, and I get the common feedback was like you know, I'm sticking it in the ground, I'm sticking, you know, I'm like, you know, the leading edge is sticking. Right. So then that was, and for me as a, a golfer, I was a, a more on the steeper side. And I'm not afraid to take a divot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not really precise and hit that ball just perfectly, you know, uh, maybe a touch behind it and you, you know, last thing you want to do is stick that leading edge in the ground. And so that was like this, you know, aha moment of like, well, as I then, got in you know progressed into my own being able to create my own products it it was just how do i create this leading edge more rounded or to to more blunted ultimately and um the thing is like um, it it creates you kind of have to put more material on there to create this unique design well all the traditional all the wedges out there are the blanks that i could get my hands on and things like that had this traditional kind of leading edge to start with so You know, that was a journey of trying to how do I grind in more uh, bluntness and then getting to the point where I can like create my own forging die and then have a big hunk of metal that I can sculpt and shape anything I want to. You know, and that's the kind of the stage of the journey to get to this ultimately this design that I have today.
0: So that's like the beginning of you, like really thinking about the camber, right? Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Okay. Because if you were to look at the camber, essentially like the leading edge is, I guess on all the diagrams I've seen, right? It's like, I mean, I can throw a picture up for these guys, but that's like definitely a big part of like your wedges is the camber. I mean, if you were to go to your website and like listen to other videos, interviews, like that's brought up pretty much in everyone, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's the driving force. Um, You know, it's all about turf interaction at the end of the day. I mean, you can have all the bells and whistles on the CG in a perfect spot. And, and, but if you stick it in the ground, that CG doesn't really do a whole lot for you. When you, when you chunk it, you know, you leave yourself, you know, half the distance to the hole, right? So that's, it really boils down to turf interaction. And my whole goal, you know, my life's work is, is optimizing that turf interaction um, to make it really efficient through the ground, consistent, and then that same consistency, whether it's a tour player or a higher handicap, that consistency translates to forgiveness that all golfers need. So, like I, I often say that, you know, this JP Camber, this design that I have, it provides the the consistency that a tour player demands because they're they, they're so good and they can repeat their swing, um, but they wanna they want that thing to react consistently through the turf and efficiently through the turf well that same design that consistency that it creates for that tour player it that consistency translates to forgiveness for all golfers so if you do hit a little behind the ball it's not going to step catch snag and and dig into the ground um, as much you're going to get away with it uh, a little bit so you if you don't hit your best make your best swing on it hit a little behind it that leading edge isn't going to stick in the ground you're going to chunk it right you're going to get away with it you might end up with a you know a five six foot putt makeable par putt let's say for an up and down versus leaving it 20-25 feet short so that's one thing that's really unique about this jp camber uh, design that i have going on that it's it's great for the tour player it's and it's also great for for your for it they're higher handicap and anywhere in between as well.
0: Yeah. And it looks nasty. Like it's just sick. Yeah.
1: Well, that's what you get. Like, uh, you know, you, a lot of times, cause it is different, right. You know, right. To, to create a real change and, um, uh, movement, you get, you have to, you have to do something different or unique. And so as people see this, it's like, um, you get when they look at the wedge and they say, they're like, huh? <laughs> Usually they say, huh? You know, like, right. Well, I don't know if I can hit, that's really rounded. I'm not, they've never seen it before, so they're intimidated by it, right? And then at the end of the day, I just want you to swing your swing. Don't um, compensate for the wedge. Swing your swings, be aggressive. And then that, oh, uh, that, huh, turns into like, hmm, you know, this yeah. tastes good. <laughs> no,
0: this reminds me of the conversation I was having with Sam. And like, you know, you think about lab, you think about like the directed force putter, like that big putter head, you're like, what is this? And then you use it and you're like, oh. Like, oh, that, I get it. I love
1: those cutters. Yeah.
0: You know, it's like that same, maybe like, I don't know what the word is. Uh-huh moment is like, okay, right? Like, I, I can like use, or I see this, like, let's go, you know?
1: Yeah, no, and that's, that's it. Right. So it's at the end of the day, um, you know, with a lot of that traditional design out there, a lot of golfers have like experience sticking their leading edge in the ground or, or chunking it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so then they'll like oh i don't want to do that again so now i'm going to like lean on my back foot and i'm going to try to manipulate my swing a little bit whether you know intentionally or subconsciously or or whatever they're doing to like you know to limit that and so they're 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 compensating for their wedge right because they don't want it to do it well i want i want you to swing your swing i want you to be aggressive and i want to provide a product that's going to enhance your swing and not have you compensate for it
0: all right, let's get back into the story because we kind of got a little uh, sidetracked <laughs> like there. So we're at um, well, it's cool clubs, right? Or excuse me, yeah, because yeah, it's hot six cool and cool clubs. Club. So like, yeah, how did you cool get clubs. back to Wisconsin? Or like, what was that? Yeah, story? so you know,
1: at the, you know, when you you learn a ton at hot six, went to cool clubs, learned a ton there, and then it's like, well, you know, what's next, right? I want to, I want to keep going. Um, and as you, you know, kind of, you can plateau or you can try to, you know, keep moving. And I said, you know, I like, you know, I want to, you know, create my own line someday or, you know, um, and so I did, I I made the leap. I went, I moved back to my home uh, area, hometown, actually in Ellsworth, Wisconsin, small town. Um, my dad had a, he's got a greenhouse wholesale business and, um, he has a, you know, pole shed, aluminum pole shed on his property. And he, he, uh, you know, I went and got a small business loan for $25,000. I remember he co-signed, co-signed for me. Nobody would give me the money, you know, <laughs> to start this deal. And so he co-signed for me, I, and I spent all that money on equipment, uh, you know, grinders, and setting up my shop. And so I cleared out a corner of his pole shed, set up shop. That was uh, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, in the spring of 2009. So I did that. And right, I had what kind of it. equipment
0: were you buying? Because I'm just curious. I mean, I've never, obviously, like, that's why I'm bringing you on. I've never, like, obviously built a club, you know? I'm just like, so, like, what would you even have bought? Like, you can't buy equipment like a CNC machine. Those look like they're, like, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, right? they or,
1: are. And I couldn't, I didn't have the money to do that right. quite yet. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm utilizing, like, belt grinders and metal finishing wheels to do be able to shape clubs and and do those grinding elements and then um, all the club building tools the loft and line machine and and frequency um, and and those things to build golf clubs and then the tools that I need to modify golf clubs including all the hand stamps and Mm -hmm. you know things add up fast so I I got my setup and at that time um, I had a, a nice relationship with Mira Golf and where they because I didn't have that milling machine. So I couldn't initially add tungsten to, to the uh, existing manufacturers if they're already at playing weight. So they were able to provide me with a wedge head that was like 20, 25 grams overweight that I could grind and shape the sole bounce and the heel toe that I wanted to do, um, down to like the playing weight. So that's how I really started there.
0: Yeah. Wait, so how did you get involved with, because that's kind of like a, you kind of just breezed over, like, Mira. that's a big <laughs> deal, right? I mean, like, how did that whole relationship come yeah, about? Because you're just in Wisconsin getting, like, clubs from Japan, like, straight from Japan. Like, how did that work out?
1: Well, that, that, it dates back to, you know, my time at Hostas and Cool Clubs, yeah, right? Sure. And so they sold Mira, and yeah. uh, while I was at Cool Clubs, I was able to get some of those Mira oversized ones. So I did some Mira stuff while I was at Cool Clubs, and then, you know, got, um, uh, an account set up with Mira and then, and, uh, started building a relationship with Bill Holowati over there at Mira. And, uh, he, yeah, got me set up and, and things like that. So that was a great transition for me to be able to like transition from modifying existing manufacturer stuff. Um, that was already out of playing weight, uh, to getting something that was a little heavier to like, to, you know, progress my efforts into what would be my own line at some some point. So then it was kind of like a co-branded, you know, Mira JP wedge that I could create. And that's where I really got to take off and, and do unique hand stamping and finishes and grinding on there. And then you know, I'm I'm stuck in a I'm in a small town in in, in Wisconsin where it's not everybody's buying high end custom wedges. Right. That's what I was gonna ask, is
0: who are you selling these things to? Yeah. Yeah, so then I was
1: able to um I was able to piggyback on yeah um, uh, a friend that I knew in the industry that was selling tour um like tour clubs right. on on Golf WRX. And right. so he had a sponsorship there and then GolfWX let me um, kind of piggyback on his sponsorship to then promote my work. And so that's ultimately what did. And so what I did is I created some, you know, JP Mira stuff um, with some, you know, did some torchings and some stampings and stuff like that and just posted my work uh, on Golf WX. and And then, you know, I started to, you know, people liked what I was doing. They were commenting. And then I started to build kind of a little cult following on there. And so GulfWRX was, you know, a huge part of allowing me to showcase my work at that stage in a small town uh, in Wisconsin to, you know, allow me to keep progressing uh, to that side of things. And so...
0: Right. So were these wedges, were they like literally like mirror blanks, like, or did they have the mirror logo? And then you'd also put on your JP logo. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They were, uh, they were kind of like a, it was already kind of finished, like a, a a completed golf club. It just weighed extra. It was raw. didn't have a plating. So raw carbon steel. Um, and it was heavy and it had a mirror logo on it and it just had like um, the gap wedge had one dash on it, and the mm. sandwich had two dashes, and the lob wedge had three dashes. Right. So then it allowed you to stamp whatever loft you were doing, mm. and so that's that's ultimately what I did there. And so that was a great experience for me. But you know, like I said, I I moved back um, to my hometown, Wisconsin. You know, in the springtime, well, that pole shed of my dad's wasn't yeah. wasn't insulated nor hey, a little heated. space heater, huh? Yeah, so it was like then it, November started to come. It's getting a little chilly in there. And uh, and so then my mom lived in, lived, still does in Minneapolis. And so she had a, a heated two-car garage. And she said, well, you know what? Why don't you move your stuff into my garage and, you know, I'll park in the driveway. So I ended up packing my bags, going up to this small two-car garage to build my shop in there and my mom and my stepdad, you know, they, they parked their cars in the driveway for, you know, gosh, I don't know, like three years <laughs> while I, in the cold winter. Right. To, yeah. So I could uh, really hone my craft and that was, you know, making that next step and to get out of that garage, you know? And so then that's kind of how, you know, I call my shop the grind house, right. Cause mm-hmm. I started grinding in a house.
0: <laughs> Huge shout out to WRX though, right?
1: Oh Oh yeah! I just yeah, want to like was, pay homage to please. them
0: real fast and just get your oh, general thoughts because, like, if you think about some of the greatest conversations taking place like in golf right now in the industry, like obviously we have social media now, but like it goes down in these forums. That's the reality, right? right?
1: Yeah, there. I mean the the the, uh, the golfer, you know, the equipment junkies or whatever you want to call them. I mean, that's the that's like the underground um, side of golf, and without those guys, um, one you know creating you know without those forms or golf Directs doing that um and having all that that community for people to see unique things and and the inter- you know having the internet to to do it to showcase it i mean it, if I didn't have that outlet of golf d x at that time you know i i wouldn't have been able to do you know what i what I'm doing and then ultimately, and then you know my Golf Spy as well, you know right. having articles on there and, and things like that. So the equipment forums was like a, you know really the the crucial though the lifeline that I had as a as a guy that just wanted to create some create a unique product um, to showcase my work, and that was really my only avenue that that really could get me out there, and it, and it mm-hmm. did
0: price point wise, were they like similar or were you, were you pricing them at the same time? Like um, same, I think the like Mira,
1: it was like, I think they were around 400. I was like $400. Um, uh, I think for a wedge for, and then you got, that was like the head only. And then it was like kind of all la cart style, right? You want this stamping that's like, you know, it was like five or $10 a letter and then finishes and, and then the shaft, the grip. And so then at the end of the day, you know, they reach, you know,
0: Five five hundred dollars probably or something like that. Just curious, kind of. I'm just wondering where things fell because that was you know pre pre Titleist, right?
1: Well, even at my time at um, cool clubs and hot sticks, we were you know let's say we're modifying the uh, Titleist Vokey wedge or or the uh, Callaway wedge. We're doing that heel toe grind in lane tungsten. They called it psycho wedges. That was their like a psycho wedge, right? And they mm-hmm. were selling those. Those were five hundred dollars starting to. So, I mean, even then that was, you know, 2005, six, seven, you know, and so they're fetching, you know, 500 plus dollars for those, uh, unique custom re
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, high price point. Um, but yeah, that's what it was. And, um, so yeah, back to the garage shop, um, you know, doing that and then, you know, having that ability to showcase my work. Um, I was able to, I wanted to take the next step, right? I wanted to make my own line of wedges. And to do that, I needed to source like my own blanks. And um, so I could create my own kind of private label JP wedge and ultimate goal. And so at that time, I was able to get a small little manual milling machine to do some inlays for tungsten. And uh, so I had that set up at that time in the garage shop. And then I was able to, I sent out some emails of uh, Japanese forging houses, and um, finally, after a couple of months, I all of a sudden got an email back from Kyoe Golf in Ichikawa, Japan, and so they said, well, send me a couple blanks that I could look at, some samples, and, and I, I ground those up, and um, uh, so then I ended up going to the PGA show, you know, that next PGA show. Um, and I, and KyoA was there, some representatives. And so I ch- I chatted with them, showed them what I, what I had done with their, with their blanks. And they said, well, you know, if you're ever in Japan, um, you know, we'd love to have you over. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, we parted ways, I remember. And then I, I'm thinking about, oh man, I just got invited to, uh. Yeah. to japan right so i'm like That's, how am i gonna get to, i gotta get to japan yeah. <laughs> so then i was like i'm you know after the next hour i'm walking around the show i'm like you know on a high because of this great conversation that i had and i ran into him again like two hours later i said well actually you know what i didn't mention um i'm actually going to the japan the tokyo or japan golf fair uh yeah. next month <laughs> which i wasn't I didn't have plans right. for until i had that conversation so yeah. uh maybe I could I could visit you then so then I went back that night and bought a plane ticket and then uh to the the uh Japan golf fair where I where then I met uh, uh the rep from Kioy and then they were uh were so welcoming to me they met them in in Tokyo and Ichikawa is uh you know south further south of Osaka so it's a decent um I took some boat, all the different trains all the mm-hmm. way down to Ichikawa Japan and they welcomed me in where they let they invited me to stay on location at their traditional uh, Japanese home. Um, stay there with them. I got to you know have dinner with the family and, and that the wow. whole uh, experience, and then also go and um, learn. Uh, take lessons from the ma- you know their masters uh their grinding master, their forging master and their their plating master they have three masters there, and so I remember going there and going into this grinding room with all oh, these big huge grinders like with these huge uh belts similar to what Don White had, right, and so I remember going in there and then there I got to have a grinding lesson, so he put me in in this grinding line with okamira san who's the master. Uh, grinder there and whole different element because I'm this I got this uh, grinder on a pedestal I'm standing up you know doing this freehand grinding (laughs) stuff well they sit down on a tree stump put their elbows inside their their knees and like kind of like a squatting position and have these real you know precise moves that they make right and so they sat me on this tree stump and this everybody's a like over my head i'm like can't hear anything and uh, i remember the safety goggles are like i can't see out of these things i'm like what am i doing i'm gonna make a fool of myself you know so i'm like here take these glasses off i can't see anything and and i'm like it's okay you know and so i i started doing up like this grinding um and so alchemir's son's teaching me the moves and and all this stuff but you know needless to say it was just a great experience to be able to learn um from you know this tradition of of great club making and grinding through that visit and then i got to you know same deal learn uh, with the forging master
0: and yeah. wait so when you say forging house like are they only making clubs or like is it all just metal craftsmanship or how exactly like, how would you explain that to someone because i don't oh, fully understand that like what does that yeah. even mean a forging house
1: so, yeah that's just kind of like a, a term you know right okay. uh, factory uh right. also you know aka factory but uh yeah that all that all they do is make golf clubs and so gotcha. they start um, With well, like, a, you know, forging. So you talk forging versus casting, right? And so forging is a, you know, superior method to casting and that, you know, forging, let's say they take a cylinder of metal and they heat that up into like a red hot marshmallow, right? And then they put that red hot billet, it's called a billet of steel into a forging die and a big press comes and like smashes it, you know, um, to create like a pancake at the end of the day with a, with a golf club, in it. and then they trim that scrap out, and then that creates a real tight grain structure. So casting is like they'll heat up a, a metal to like a molten liquid, right, and then they pour that molten liquid into a uh, a container, gotcha. right? And you pour it in, it takes it takes the it cools and takes the shape of the container, and the the shape is. Inside as a golf club head well with with casting, you know there's air bubbles that get trapped inside of that um, uh metal called porosity right and so um forging basically eliminates all of that those air bubbles or porosity and creates a really tight dense uh grain structure, so you have the same metal, but inside the metal all those little air bubbles are popped right, and gotcha. so it's like a tight grain structure, and so from a let's say a grinding perspective, right? If I'm grinding a cast wedge, for example, and I I could expose one of those air bubbles, and now I have like this little defect pinhole um, that shows up. And then, you know, you can argue that, you know, there's, you know, void spots and things like that. So having, you know, the highest quality materials to start, which, you know, the forging process, which, cre- you know, makes it a little bit more difficult to to do. There's more steps to create, a finished product from a forging versus a casting so that you know uh is kind of a, a quick little snapshot of a forging gotcha. versus casting
0: there okay. so when you think about like japanese craftsmanship just in general because you hear about like these guys just making like awesome like really really cool golf i mean Mira comes to mind right do yeah. do any of these club makers like do they fit on mount rush the mount rush we kind of talked about the Mount Rushmore. oh yeah in like
1: uh, you know like I say, Okoka san he's kinda you know he's he's been doing it forever it's his life life's work, you know the best right. in the world at what he does right um and and then you have uh mr Mirasan uh of mira um same deal right It's like Kyoey and Mira are right across the river from each other, so I'm at Kyi looking across the river, I could see the Mira uh factory um and so they're right both in that same area, but yeah, he's got to, you know. Uh, both of those guys are definitely on on Mount Rushmore. Um, And, you know, and there's there's others as well. Um, But I really um, appreciate that the craftsmanship, you know, in Japan, you know, dating back from samurai swords and and things like that, uh, where I feel, you know, as my time and my experience in Japan, you know, very meticulous. They take a lot of pride in what they do um, they want to create the best product possible. Um, and that's what, from my, and that aligns with my philosophy too, because uh, is I just, I want to start with the highest quality materials. I want to build the most performance, mo- as much performance as I can into the product. And then at, at the end, um, while I'm not sacrificing any performance, I want to make it look good and make, make it aesthetically pleasing. So you got quality performance, aesthetics, always, you know, in that order. So if you're like um, a chef making, you know, the the best steak you can, you're going to start with, you know, the highest quality meat, right? And so I'm going to start with the highest quality materials and go from there. And so that really aligns with my philosophy. And so I really felt at home in the Japanese um, uh, culture and uh, as well as, you know, the, the craftsmen that I was able to get uh, to study under there.
0: All right, so then, did you keep going back to Japan, or how did that work? Like, did you? Yeah, I went back. What happened? I've been
1: to Japan, you know, probably five, six times. And I also, at my time then, um, with Titleist, um, I would I went to Japan a handful of times and worked with some of the um, uh, tour players out there, and and then make some prototypes and go back and forth that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Japan has been a, a a big influence on me.
0: Yeah. All right. You touched on Titleist. I think this is an awesome part of your, your journey too. So like, can we, can we take you back to uh, when they just showed up at your house with the yeah. paper? we like, what yeah. was that like?
1: Oh, that was another, another, you know, surreal uh, moment where I, I, you know, 2013, again, springtime, 2013, I just, you know, I missed a call, got a voicemail and I, listen to the voicemail and i hear you know this is you know a uh, senior vp of of hr of Titleist. and i was like oh yeah I better better call this one back right yeah. <laughs> you know so i did and this this vp that was on a yeah that was on, that was on a wednesday and then on the following monday he's sitting in my garage with a you know, stack of papers on a lot of the golf wrx stuff and my body of work and we had a, a great a great conversation so in my garage shop um and then he um i said well do you want you want me to grind a wedge for you so you you know it's not all smoke and mirrors yeah. <laughs> so he he said yeah i know it's not smoke and mirrors but I would like you to do that. So I said, you know, here's some glass, safety glasses. I'm like, get your nose right up in here. Don't really <laughs> not gonna be, it's not going to scare me, right? So I thought that might happen. So I had a, a blank set out ready to yeah. kind of do a speed grind, you know. And so I did it, uh, you know, shaped it all the way down from, to get it to that playing way, kind of just freehand or whatever. So I did it set, it, set it on the table. And then, you know, he was, I could just see, you know, his his cheeks were kind of rosy and he's like, oh, that was... I remember what he said. he said. That was that was really
0: neat. <laughs> <It That's goes, laughs> he HR guy too. That's not even like the director of engineering. Like
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So he was, you know, um, uh, Dennis Doherty, yeah. a great guy, and he's he was Wally Uline, his kind of right hand guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Wally Uline, of you know, obviously the legend of of Titus and Kushnet. Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, he went out to kind of vet me, right? And so he, had, um. It was a great day. Um, he's like, you know, I never really uh, exp- you know, really took the time to see, experience that. So it was just a, gr- a great day, great experience. And then he left, and, and then sure enough, a, a week later, Wally Uline himself and the head of R&D
0: for Titles, Dan Stone, yeah sitting in my garage my mom's garage (laughs) you know they just have your wrx printouts too like everything yeah like pictures right yeah a stack of of paper because when you say stack of papers i thought it was like a contract like oh no no
1: not not at that time it was just like my yeah it had like a a manila folder with like you know two inch stack of, of papers on on the you know my body of work from that they could do research, but yeah. So he, so then then Wally and, and Dan are again sitting, sitting in my mom's garage, and same kind of deal. It was, like same thing. We talked, we talked. on I remember I had like a you know I had the a button up uh, dress shirt on, and yeah. you know, and so I had a white t shirt on. I undid the dress shirt and like got into the. I they said, oh, I heard you uh you know you grind, ground a wedge for for Dennis last week. You mind doing it for? for us too. So I figured that was coming. So I had another wedge blank set aside and I did that same kind of speed grind, uh, do it, finish it up, got it done, set, you know, and the other one from, from Dennis was just sitting there on the, on the counter. So I set that one next to it and off we went. Um, and then that progressed ultimately. So that was in the springtime. And then by, by July, 2013, I packed my bags and, moved out to California and, mm-hmm. and, and joined Titleist on a, on a you know, a five-year, um five-year stint to ultimately design the, a JP by Titleist, you know, super premium, a wedge. And and that's ultimately what I did. So um, yeah, it's a real experience, something that, you know, also has shaped me to where I am today.
0: First off, like, super badass right like that's incredible you just think about right. like the progress but from you like when you think about your time at Titleist like h- how is it divided because what i've read online is like you know you had you think at Titleist you have like uh, i'm assuming your facility right the access the accessibility equipment is like significantly better than what you had at the the garage right right but then it sounds like you were also doing a lot of testing as well so like, can we kind of just like dive into those five years and just like, like, how did you spend your time?
1: Yeah. So I moved out, um, they, you know, titles set me up with a, my own private studio just down the road from headquarters. So it was like the garage shop on, on steroids. Right. And so I, I moved all my equipment out there too, but then was able to get more, you know, a lot more bells and whistles added to it. And then, um, was able to um, ultimately start the process of, you know, creating this JP by titles Wedge. So now it's, you know, I have a a blank canvas. Um, We have a a big budget to be able to create tooling and um, we can uh, work on CAD. And so that's, you know, that's that's, uh, where that started uh, there. And so I would, I utilize my, you know, hand grinding skills on blanks and to try to create what i was trying to uh, accomplish with the wedge and then i go uh test it so then, like i said i went to japan did some testing go back make some other prototypes go back and forth until ultimately you have the the sole of the wedge that we wanted to do and then uh from there it's okay now we want to be able to have we got the sole right now we want to create a the CG and I wanted to do multiple materials like I had been doing in the past mm-hmm. with tungsten and, and titanium and things like that. So it's just an evolution of what I had been doing. And so then ultimately created um, this new line, JP by Titleist, where, um, you know, I had, uh, it was forged milled uh, carbon steel body, had, a t- had titanium and it had tungsten in it, and things like that. Um, and so then I was able to have a, a fitting area over at uh, TPI. So then I created a fitting experience. So then I, mm-hmm. they built me a, my own tee box there where I had, you know, uh, various greens to hit in from. And then they had a, a high-speed video camera, mm-hmm. um, which at the time, I mean, when, I, when they purchased that, because I got it up and running. I found it like it wasn't being used. I'm like, I'll, get, I'll try to use this, right? So I could right. see the impact path of the of the descent to the golf ball for angle of attack and how much they're forward pressing or de-lofting the club at impact, which plays into leading edge height and and how much bounce you need and, and, and so forth. So I did a a really unique high-speed video uh, fitting system out at TPI. And so then I'd have clients come in I fit them for wedges and then I go back to the shop and then I I I make their wedges. So it was still a real kind of you know a lot of that one man show kind of philosophy, uh scenario um where I did have, the you know the great you know support of you know of you know from prototyping and the CNC machine shop, great guys over there and, and mm-hmm. as well as the other guys in R&D as, as well. So it was a great experience. So I take uh and I build those wedges. And then ship them out to to the clients, and then also doing the, some custom engravings and things like that. Right. So it was still wearing a lot of hats, and and you know allowing me just to keep progressing with my craft yeah. um, until ultimately uh, my contract was up, and and I decided that you know based upon you know uh, all the Volky franchises continue to be uh, you know very strong and number one in the industry and i thought that you know it it was time well spent a great experience and i wanted to do you know the next chapter um and so i left Titleist to start you know my own solo line again and uh ultimately uh this JP Premier line of wedges is my first you know real production line of wedges um after after Titleist i did a cool Uh, hand ground project you know in the interim after Titleist before this Premier line I called the first 50 where I had I got some you know tooling for some raw uh, forging blanks this big oversized blanks that I could create whatever I wanted and uh, did like a a 50 piece run um, on some wedges there and then got
0: ultimately into this JP Premier line of wedges. Right so before we dive into JP just curious like When you were at Titleist, was this the first time you were really using, like, CAD, or had you always used CAD?
1: No, yeah, that was the first time of getting introduced to to CAD, and, uh, you know, during that, in that time, like, um, you know, I was given a a CAD designer to work with, and a lot, you know, so then I was like, I want to create this lines, and then it's hard to translate sometimes of, like, um, now, this isn't what I was quite looking for. So then I just thought, here, give me the mouse. Let me let me get in there. See create some lines. And so then I was able to, you know, kinda um see what CAD was all about. And now, you know, I'm kind of a I've designed the CAD all myself uh for the JP Premier line and, and so now I've added that, you know, feather to the cap in terms of what my skill set is and, and so CAD's a, a huge part of it. Yeah, for
0: sure. I kinda wanna talk about I got a lot of questions. Okay. So when you think of like just your overall process from like getting the material to CAD to like doing the grind, can you kind of like lay that out for mm. people who maybe just, maybe they take it for granted. They just walk into a golf shop and they're like, or they walk into the grind house and they see like this awesome wedge sitting there. Like they have no idea w- the work that went into it. Can we right. like talk about that process? Cause I think that a lot of people, don't unnecessarily understand, you know, like the process and like the, the workflows that take place to bring something from like raw material to a shelf or to like their golf bag.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it all kind of starts with a grind, you know, at the end of the day Um, we have to, you have to have like, okay, what am I gonna, what am I trying to achieve here? Um, So a lot of times for me, because I have that um, grinding skill set. Um And some machining background, and so now I have to create a you know kind of like a performance prototype, right? What soul am I looking to do and so and and I'm gonna create you know a lot of times with a hand grinding process as well as some like manual milling process to create a prototype so I can nail down that sole that I want so then there's you know you gotta factor in bounce and what is bounce, and that's a whole other uh thing we can talk on if you're interested yeah. Yeah. Um, of of bounce but um
0: that's on my list too
1: <laughs> okay so there's like the leading you know so we got to define like this geometry or they call it a lot of you know terminology is grind right like uh it has this grind on it or that grind on it but you know grind is just a term you know that can be used as a soul design or a ge- the geometry of a club of what that soul uh, is shaped like, and then ultimately that shape will translate to how it, uh, digs or doesn't dig in the ground. Uh, so that's how, how you start. And so, you know, I'm a big proponent of camber and like, what is camber? Camber is just curvature. It can be used interchangeably. It's a fancy name, uh, to say something's curved, right? Camber. So I, you know, I'm always a big proponent of that real aggressive heel-toe grind, so it allows you to manipulate the the club face and do different shots, but also eliminate, eliminates the extra baggage, so to speak, through the ground uh, as well. So I'm a big proponent of adding the material where you need it and removing it where you don't, right? And so through that hand uh, prototyping process, you know, you're going to identify that. So you have to make a, a whole bunch of different um, versions, right, with different, bounce angles and soul widths and leading edge heights to ultimately find what y- you want to create and then you know you usually want some different options right so a mid bounce and a high bounce and depending on the type of player you are some people might need high bounce some people might need mid bounce or whatever so you establish that and it's a lot of times through sort of like a you know the grinding prototyping process and it doesn't have to look good at that point right you just want to identify. You want to get the CG where it is, you can do it real crude with lead tape and, and things like that it doesn't have to look good at that stage. So you identify that soul, and then you identify the center of gravity. And what the center of gravity is is just ultimately the sweet spot or mm-hmm. where that head will balance. Um, and so, again, what I try to do is just try to really push that center of gravity towards the more towards the middle of the face where you impact the ball to create more energy transfer and that extra increased energy transfer is going to provide better distance control, feedback and feel, you know, um, which adds to performance.
0: Right. And so. Wait, when you think about CG on other clubs, like, does it tend to be, I mean, I'd assume it'd be in the center of the club face for like every manufacturer. Is that not necessarily the case? That's not the case.
1: Right. So like especially with the one piece design and things like that um, and the hosel length, and what they're trying to accomplish, you got, like, really two main center of gravities you're trying to work with. It's CGX, which is from heel to toe, where that sweet spot is, you know, on the X axis, heel to toe. And then there's CGY, which is, like, the vertical axis, how high it is from the ground plane. So, you know, the new age golf clubs, with they're trying to really, like, in the lob wedge, force that CGY higher because of the loft the increased loft well they can do that with an increased hosel length but then that increased hosel length draws the cgx closer towards the heel so it's hard to do both right and that's where my objective is i want to be able to do both so i'm going to use multiple materials tungsten very heavy titanium is very light use utilize air air is (laughs) air is as light as you get let's say in a cavity internal cavity or something like that so you're, I'm able to, you know, play on that CG and create that CGY where I need it and the CGX. So I'm not sacrificing one or the other. Um, and so for typically in traditional wedges out there, that CG is tucked in more heelward um, because of, of the design. Um, so I try to progress that more towards the center of the face to get that increased energy transfer. And I'm able to do that through this design Um, and so like if you're to cut off like the hosel or the neck of the, my wedge and let's say my wedge weighs 305 grams and you take, let's say a traditional wedge that has a longer hosel, uh, one piece and you chop that off and you weigh those, that material behind the ball, mine's going to typically going to be heavier. Um, because I try to create more mass behind the ball to create all that you know energy energy transfer you know in the distance control feedback a real dense solid feel and impact so that's what I'm doing with the multiple materials so you have your your sole design you have your center of gravity um, and so you have to pinpoint those through a, a series of testing you know you have to make prototypes and you got to go test with players uh, that can really give you good advice and feedback, as well as you can do it on some robotic testing and, and things like that. So now once you identify the sole you want, geometry you want, you identify the center of gravity, X and Y. There's also Z. but um, So you identify those uh, engineering uh, parameters. And then you say, okay, it has to be this gram weight. It has to have this sole. It has to have these, this center of gravity. And now I have to make it look good um to be aesthetically pleasing so somebody wants to to buy it right and so then you have to uh, marry all those together at the same time and so for me it's 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 good because i have that engineering mind but i also have that artistic uh mind as well so as i'm as i'm designing i'm thinking you know of looks while i'm thinking of engineering so i can kind of blend those together to create something uh, that, that looks good. Cause again, it goes all the way back to quality performance and aesthetics in that order. And so that's kind of how I go about it. And once you, then it, you know, you have to design that in CAD, right. To, for a, a true, you know, production. So then you go into CAD and then you build it all on the computer and the CAD, uh, software allows you to, you know, generate where that center of gravity is. And so you have all these numbers you're testing, you can put densities in uh, for the materials you're using. And so you can then design it on on a CAD computer uh, generated. Um, And then you can make a prototype. So now you have this computer model that's, this is what you want. And you have all the lofts, all the bounces, like it can be 18 or 20 different models you got to create just for one line, all with the the CG targets you're looking for. So it's a pretty in-depth process. It's a, kind of like a big puzzle. So then from there, if you have a, a finished CAD model, you can ultimately, you want to get a sample made before you make tooling and and, and invest in a, a, the production line and things like that. Um, and so a lot of times having a, center, a CNC milling machine, there's the CAD software and then there's CAM, um, CAD CAM, right? So then you, it, Basically, you can export this code, G-code, out to a CNC milling machine, and it tells this milling machine how to create the geometry that you uh, created in CAD. So you cut that out of metal and create a, a prototype. Uh, so those there. are
0: essentially like the CNC, anytime you see that, that's more of like like a one-off kind of like trying to determine what you want, and then the tooling's created for like mass production or...
1: Well, yeah, I mean, for it's it's still CNC is still actively involved, especially in my product. Um, but it's a big tool to make you, help get you uh, what the finished product is going to look like, um, that CNC prototype, right? So you can validate that. And then you go to tooling. And so for the wedge body, you know, you can mill like a lot of prototypes. You can mill out of a, just a solid block of metal, mm-hmm. you know, but that's a lot of extra metal that you're you know, wasting, milling out, right? wasting, yeah. right? But it's sometimes you have to do that for a prototype. So you get through that whole prototyping process and then um, you create tooling. And what is tooling? Like, For example, like a forging die, right? So I need to get, um, I want to forge my wedge body into the shape as well as like um, not have too much excess material. So it's kind of near net. So this forging die produces a kind of a rough, uh, shape of a, of the golf club and then you utilize the c i utilize cnc milling um, to really create that precise geometry because i want all my wedges to react the same through the ground uh so i want to rely on you know cnc which is as precise as it gets versus you know having some grind line of different people hand grinding the leading edge and one person does it differently than the other in terms of 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 that, so that's where uh, the CNC milling comes into play to hold the, that geometry of so it plays how it's designed to play, um, and so you have the you have the raw forgings, um, and then you mill the wedge body out of that. I have a titanium backplate which I have a forging made out of that as well, and that gets milled out. And so then at the end of the day, this JP Premier is like a a unique intricate puzzle piece with internal tungsten weights, titanium backplate all that fit, uh, uniquely into, uh, like a puzzle and it's all bonded together. Um, that creates this, you know, very unique wedge that has that soul on there, has the CG and then, you know, meticulously crafted, um, which, you know, with the highest quality materials and things like that, which, you know, then becomes a real high end, uh, product.
0: Yeah. No, I just wanted people to have like an insight to you, you know, cause you're like, Cause like I said, I feel like a lot of people will just like take things for granted when it comes to like equipment or, or whatnot, you know, but like to hear it from you, it's a little differently, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, it takes, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears into, uh, uh, the craft, right. You know, you, right. you learn a lot, you gotta, you gotta put, put your all into it. And at the end of the day, stack a bunch of days on top of each other to ultimately, uh, create something. So yeah, that's what I've been fortunate to be able to do that.
0: hmm No, for sure. All right. So you touched a little bit about also, are we good on time? Can we keep going for like, like we can go for as long as you want, man. Okay. sweet. So when you think about bounce and just like what bounce means, and like you hear about like your average golfer, Oh, use the bounce or you hear about it on TV. I feel like in based on other conversations I've heard from you, like, it just sounds like it's this thing that's commonly misunderstood by a lot of people. And like, I think, and I would, love to hear your sort of perspectives and insights into bounce in like from the lens of maybe some guy who has heard about bounce like can you kind of dump not dumb it down but like make it easier to understand for like the average guy yeah
1: it's a confusing topic it's confusing for people in the industry come to find out as well Um, but i try to break it down into you know what is bounce right bounce is the resistance to digging right the higher the bounce of a golf club the more it will resist digging at impact. The lower the bounce, the more knife-like it will become and the more apt it will be to cut or dig into the ground, much like a knife would, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's bounce is essentially the resistance to digging. Now, um, there's a variety of factors that uh, create bounce or the resistance to digging. Now, bounce is confusing because you have this element of the resistance to digging called um, the bounce angle, right? And that's just one measurable element of the sole, the bounce angle. But people say, what's the bounce of the wedge? What they're trying to say, like, if it's high bounce, mid bounce, low bounce, they're saying, like, well, you could call it the effective bounce or the resistance to digging. Will it dig or not dig into the ground? And they say bounce. Well, it's confusing, but They think they're talking about the bounce, maybe the bounce angle, but so it's like all of a sudden it's like this word bounce can mean two different things, but nobody knows what bounce you're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? So really the effect of bounce when they say, oh, there's a high bounce wedge, a mid bounce wedge, a low bounce wedge is the resistance to digging or how easy it will or will not dig or cut through the turf, Right. That's why I like
0: your wedges, like looking at your website. It's like, you it's easy. It's like, like mid or, or high, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You look at like another port, like a portfolio or like a collection of other, maybe clubs, you you just look at these numbers and you're like, you just get kind of confused. You're like, do I need this? Do I need that? Whereas you're just like very simple. It's like, (laughs) I'm Steve jobs. Like, I know what you want. You want to hire you want, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's three major elements of this resistance to digging or effective bounce. Yes, right. it's the bounce angle, which the higher the bounce angle, the, the higher the effective bounce. So as the bounce angle increases, the leading edge ultimately will increase if all things are constant. So there's the bounce angle. Yes, mm-hmm. so the higher the bounce, the more effective bounce it will have. Um, The second element of effective bounce or the resistance to digging is sole width. So the wider the sole is of, of the wedge, the more surface area it has to resist digging. So if it's very narrow, it doesn't have a lot of surface area and it will dig into the ground. So again... The wider the sole width, the more effective bounce it has. So now that's two elements, the bounce angle and sole width that create the resistance to digging. But there's also a third one, which is camber. Mm-hmm. Camber is that curvature I talked about. So yeah. it's really a combination of those three elements, bounce angle, sole width, and camber, all used together to create the resistance to digging or effective bounce mm-hmm. and so you'll notice let's say you know some other manufacturers lines let's say they have their lob wedge has five different grinds right and then right. they it says like uh their bounce is four degrees of bounce eight degrees of bounce 12 degrees of bounce 14 right well this is also confusing what they're really just telling you at that stage is is that the industry has been accustomed Conditioned to think that like four degrees of bounce is low bounce, eight to ten degrees of bounce is mid bounce, and 14 degrees of bounce is high bounce. So they're really just saying low, mid, high bounce because they're talking effective bounce on that. Because back in the day, they made a low bounce wedge that with a protractor, how Don White showed me to measure, measured this four degree bounce angle right? And so everybody just got conditioned to think that the four degrees is a low bounce wedge, mm-hmm. right? But nowadays, if you measure, let's say, um, you know, a Titleist um, low bounce wedge, whether it's like an L or a T grind or something like that, and I'll say like four, 60.04, so four degrees of bounce. Well, now if I take that and measure where the where the sole width is and the contact point and measure that I might measure actually like a 15 degree bounce angle Oh wow. because right. But if, if they stamped 15 degrees on there, yeah. Yeah. everybody, their mind would go, they blow. Yeah. The and brain that's the low degree with.
0: bounce. Like imagine what would the high be like 30? Yeah. They'd something? be like,
1: I can't hit 14 degrees. I want a low bounce. This is high bounce, right. but they're not factoring in sole width. Right. So they, on that low bounce, wedge that they're stamping four degrees of bounce just so they can tell the the consumer that it's low bounce Mm -hmm. the bounce angle might measure 15 degrees but it's coupled with a very narrow sole width and let's say no or minimal camber so those three elements create this resistance to digging Mm -hmm. so now it's got even more uh confusing because they're saying everybody's talking bounce angle but it's effective bounce and The industry thinks because they don't want people to think like this low bounce wedge has 14 or 18 degrees of bounce on it because they're not, nobody's really talked about the sole width with them or the camber element. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, they're just trying to say low, mid or high, and they're doing it through this number system. Um, And I do, I don't, so I don't like to talk bounce because people say, well, how much bounce is on your wedge? Right? Well, I could like tell you them. You don't
0: even know what bounce is, buddy. I could tell <laughs> them
1: that, it, that, let's say, it has a 21 degree bounce angle or something like that, and then their head explodes and they don't, you know, but it's coupled with soul width and camber and, and stuff like that. So at the end of the day, they're saying low, mid, or high in this number scale version from, you know, zero degrees of bounce to 14. So mm-hmm. I just say, you know what? I'm going to talk. It's either low, low bounce, it's a mid bounce or it's high bounce. And that's the resistance to digging. Um, and so I don't stamp a, a bounce angle number on there because again, there's more than one element to effective bounce and there's sole width, there's camber and there's the bounce angle a combination of those three. So that's where I just say, you know, you know, mid bounce and high bounce. So for me, My wedges, I have these hosel rings on there. Three hosel rings is high bounce. Two hosel rings is mid bounce, for example. And it does have its own bounce angle. It does have its unique sole width and camber value, which I really enhance the camber, maximize that camber to get that really rolled or blunted leading edge. So it creates this really unique turf interaction coupled with that real aggressive heel-toe relief for shot versatility.
0: No, that's super interesting. And like, I don't know, thank you for for that. Because that's a lot of really good feedback. And like, you think about the average consumer, maybe not be like armed with this education, because they're just used to like, maybe walking to the golf shop or like, seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, like a drop down box on a e commerce site for whatever x club, you name it x wedge. So like, what advice would you have for a guy like that, you know, for the average consumer, and is like wanting to learn more, like, is there any advice you'd have for like, just like a wedge fitting or what are your just general thoughts? Yeah.
1: I mean, I would say, okay, so then it's like, okay, yeah, there's this, there's low, there's mid and there's high bounce. Well, what do I need? Right. Um, At the end of the day, it comes boils down, you know, people talk attack angle. What's your angle of attack? Um, Yes. And that's a big element uh, to it. Right. They say I'm real steep and steeper players tend to take a, a bigger divot. So it boils down to that. Like, do you take a deep healthy divot let's say are you or do you kind of are you more of a sweeper right that kind of is of shallower swing that doesn't really go too steeply into the ground right because at the end of the day you want the optimal leading edge height at impact and so if you are steep usually that's coupled with a a fair amount of forward press or de-lofting and as you de-loft a golf club the leading edge gets closer to the ground and becomes more knife-like. So yeah. by being steep or having a you know increased dynamic loft or lower, um, or more forward shaft lean, that leading edge is going to um, get closer to the ground than a person with a shallow uh, angle of attack that doesn't have a lot of forward press. So that player that does have that steeper swing that takes a higher divot usually has a decent amount of forward press, and we need to offset that with a higher leading edge height, ultimately. So at impact, they have the optimal leading edge height, which might be the same as a person that's very sweep, or that's a sweeper that uses a lower bounce that doesn't be lofted as much. And so at impact, they might have the same leading edge height. But if you give a a real shallow sweeper type um, player, let's say too much bounce, well, they don't, their leading edge height will be too high at impact and they might blade and hit a, like a thin shot, right? right. So that's ultimately what you're trying to do. So a rule of thumb, if if you tend to take a, a decent-sized divot and you're pretty aggressive through the ball, you know, err on high bounce. Ultimately, in the industry, you know, there's not enough bounce on, on wedges. So bounce, like Bob Volke says, bounce is your friend. It's hmm. true, right? So um, – That's one thing. And, you know, and if, again, if you're just, I don't really take a divot. I just kind of sweep the grass every time, rub the grass. Well, then you could probably get away with their lower bounce or mid bounce option. Really, I feel like mid and high bounce is ultimately all you really ultimately need because, um, you know, again, bounce is your friend. It's going to give you better turf interaction and more consistency and forgiveness. So um, that's kind of a a rule of thumb there.
0: right. So when you think about like wedge fittings, you know, I'm just kind of reflecting on my experience. I went to like a local shop and it was not maybe as sophisticated as it sounds like it should have been from like the perspective of going around the greens and like hitting bunker shots. Like at the end of the day, it was literally just like, all right, I'm going to take it was more of like a distance situation. It was like, okay, here's your pitching wedge. We're going to like kind of scale back to like 15 yard gaps, which I'm based on these conversations, like you need to have like a proper wedge fitting. You you need to be around the greens. You need to be hitting shots. So like, what should someone expect? Or like, what is a proper wedge fitting in your opinion from a guy who has been like a leading wedge fitter for so many years now? Like, how should that be conducted? And like, what should people expect and look for when they go and pursue a fitting for wedges? That's a good question.
1: What I like to do um, is start with your favorite your green side. I don't I I don't like to start out with you know what get those loft spacings and stuff like that. I like to start green side right because for me as a golfer I'm I'm a sixty guy. I like a lob wedge that's sixty degrees. I never grew up with hitting a fifty eight. So I just like I like a sixty right or some guy might like a fifty eight. Somebody might. You know, I don't hit loft wedges. I'm a, I am like 56 is the highest loft I get. So we got to identify what is your greenside loft. Um, and then, you know, ultimately what balance works best for you, right? But I like to start from a loft perspective of, like, greenside, right? Establish that. I'm a 60. You might be 58. Let's establish that. actually loft. am, Yeah. Yeah, see, I'm a mind reader too. You can, you know, yeah, I just it, yeah, it just comes through the through the through the, the screen. But so now we've established you're a 58 yeah. uh, guy, and now we need to know like what's your pitching wedge loft, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's easy to look up. You have a set of irons;
0: mm-hmm. it
1: has a pitching wedge in it. You can go to the site, the manufacturer's website, and see. Oh, my pitching wedge loft is um, 46 degrees. Okay, so now we have a, a marker at your most lofted clubs at fifty eight, and your um, pitching wedge at forty six. And based on your club makeup, you might want three wedges after your pitching wedge. You know, it's all about you know getting fourteen clubs in the bag. Um, I tend to like more wedges in the bag, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> fourteen. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> No, uh, well, not not 14 but like more like erring <laughs> on more wedges versus yeah. less wedges <laughs> but um from there so we have that 58 marker we have a 46 marker and let's say you right. need to fit you want a gap wedge and a sand wedge in between there yeah. well at the end of the day from there you really just want to make sure that you're really no more than your four or five degrees of loft spaced out between clubs so you have your 46 degree lob uh pitching wedge Okay, four, plus 4 degrees is a 50, and then plus another 4 degrees is a 54, and then fifty another 4 degrees after 54 is 58. 50, yeah. Oh, So then it's like you start with your lob wedge. It's very easy to do that. Get your pitching wedge and then increment, you know, 4 to 5 degrees in spacing. If you have, let's say, a 45-degree pitching wedge, and let's say you're a 60 guy, you might want to go 45 plus 5 to 50 and then go Plus another five to fifty-five and then sixty. So you're mm-hmm. just kind of spacing them out evenly at the end of the day. Um, you know, that's just a, a quick rule of thumb. Obviously you can get take it further deeper into, you know, get on a track man or a launch monitor mm-hmm. and really dial in those yardages. But if you're just, you know, thinking about it logically from a club builder standpoint and, and what you're at, just spacing those out, starting with your your green side wedge, most lofted wedge, and then identifying your pitching wedge and then just making some gaps in in there. So that's a good way to just space your gaps. So
0: for sure. How do you feel about these like super primo wedge shafts that we're starting to see more and more of like, I saw, uh, I was doing some research yesterday, like BGT breakthrough golf technology. They have like a, it just looks awesome. It yeah. looks really cool. And I saw you had done a couple builds with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Sam and I had talked about LA golf shafts and like, yeah. you know, them working and trying to get a prototype for, with another, I can't even, I can't, I gotta go back and look at it. So when you think about like, you know, just wedge technology in general like how, what do you think about these wedges? I mean, you're, maybe it sounds like obviously focusing on the head, but do you do a lot of research with the interplay between shaft and head as well? Or what's your just, yeah, I mean, it plays a big
1: role. Um, you know, just a quick rule of thumb too, you know, um, if you, you have iron set, see what you're using in your irons. And a lot of times you can just continue that consistency into your wedge shafts. Um, but you know, there's nothing wrong with steel shafts. Um, you know, there's some, you know, KBS makes some great sub-dynamic gold and so forth, Nippon. Um, but, you know, as technology progresses, there's a lot of room, especially in that space for uh, wedge shafts. I feel like what, what BGT is doing um, with that, you know, uh, kind of multi-material shaft mm-hmm. um, and as well as, you know, graphite. Because um, you can really, you know, you're able to create unique kick points and have more versatility than, what maybe steel can offer and from a design standpoint. So being able to increase that technology as we're moving along, uh, unique shaft, uh, options, um, are something that I'm very interested in, especially, you know, as some of that composite stuff, you know, it creates, there's that frequency that after you hit the golf ball or frequency or vibration, ultimately that travels up the golf shaft and then through the grip and into your hands. And that's, That's what's feel. That's how a golf club feels as you hit it. And if you hit a thin shot, let's say everybody's bladed a shot probably, maybe on a colder day and it it stings your hands, right? Well, that's this vibration that's traveling up through the shaft and then you feel it in your hands. So the damping um, ability of like, you know, composite shafts and things like that um, also create how it feels, right? Just as much as like a if you're using a very hard golf ball or a soft golf ball, well, that has a different feel with the same club. And so having, you know, the feedback of what composites can do is coupled with, you know, different kick points for launch angle and spin. I think there's a lot of uh, room for growth in that segment. And so, yeah, it's something that's, you know, really intriguing and, uh you know, something that I like to dive into more. But the the uh, BGT stuff's good. Uh, it's, it seems very consistent, um, so I, I, I have one in my lab wedge right now. Um, so I'm, I'm liking what they're doing, and and uh, just looking to continue down that rabbit hole as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see. Also, one thing I've been seeing a lot of or more manufacturers do is like the full faced wedge. How do you feel about that? I mean, would you ever do something like that? Or
1: well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I can't say I wouldn't, would not do it. I will say right. that you know a lot of the golf balls aren't being hit high on that toe either. Um, right. You know, a you lot think of about people the sit... center of
0: gravity too. You said it was closer to the heel, and then all of a sudden you're just going to like make the full face. Well, yeah, bruise, like,
1: yeah. I mean, I think that if you look at the actual wear on your face, you know, it is regulated. In that traditional area, um, you can say, "Well, yeah, you can open up for a flop shot, and let's say you're you got some deep rough, the ball sitting up, and you're really able to get underneath it. Well, yeah, maybe um, you know you might slide it under too much, um, or they say. But at the end of the day, if you look at like your impacts on your face, it's you know not a lot of golf shots are way out there on on the on the toe, really. Right. Um, unless you're doing, you know, some unique, uh, chipping style. If you're doing like that toe down or heel up toe down chip, kind of rubbing the toe chip, you call it, you know, it can do some other things like that where maybe it can be advantageous. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's really where the ball's impacting and it's not necessarily, if you're hitting it way on the edge of the toe, you know, I, Probably not the best best swing (laughs) that way. I don't know if the grooves are going to save you there. But, uh, you know, but it is something that's interesting and getting more uh, testing to see, like, you know, really where these impacts are being hit and and how beneficial it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's something, though, you know, to to try out. It's not to say that's a bad thing uh, either. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so there's that element.
0: Yeah. No. So when you think about like the future sort of like next evolution in tech from a wedge perspective, where do you see like the industry going and like, what are your just general thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, with this multiple material, um, you know, utilize, you know, really optimizing the center of gravity, the, the wedge has been kind of the last, um, golf club to really see this technology and that's what you know I'm doing is adding you know really getting this center of gravity in an ideal place with this multiple material technology Um, but another unique feature so I have the JP camber first and foremost to get you this turf interaction that um, is that efficient consistent forgiving and then you have the center of gravity that I'm using, the multiple materials that it gets. Now you have that optimum energy transfer coupled with that great uh, sole design. And then what I do, I have this unique process called the in, injection weighting process. So mm-hmm. ultimately, I have a, as I build this thing, I have an empty cavity that's um, basically right on the CG, um, behind the ball, where I'm able to load in extra weight. To make custom headways from lightweight to heavyweight and anywhere in between to the tightest tolerances in, in the industry, um, and I inject basically tungsten inside the head, and then I inject with a, like a syringe um, with this unique process of this epoxy that then fills that cavity um, to get you a uh, unique headweight. So I think like progressing down that road with this you you know multiple material this injection weighting to really. Not have to sacrifice for custom wedges because out there, a lot of the wedges are just, this is the, the head weight. And if you want it heavier, let's say, you got to put a tip weight in there or put some lead tape on there. The tip weight's going to further throw that CG closer to the heel. Um, and so that for me, I like to, you know, keep all that weight behind the ball. And so this unique uh, injection process allows me to do that, you know, and create... For somebody that needs that lightweight head that's over really over length, um, I can do that significantly. But and then for somebody that wants that real heavier wedge, let's say it's three hundred twelve fourteen grams, where either they'd have to put a bunch of lead tape, slap them on the on there to not lose, let's say, the performance so much. But they might not like the look of of lead tape. So then they might put a tip, a real heavy tip weight in the shaft, um, or some tungsten powder and epoxy, which you know, continues to, you know, reduce the center of gravity performance uh, that way. And so this allows you to have the best of both worlds. So I think you're going to see, you know, some of that technology in terms of the weighting, multiple materials. And then as, you know, this JP camber gets going, um, you know, you'll see, you can start to see more camber. I think that that's a big, a big element those three things.
0: No. And just kind of watching you through that. Everyone here should check out like your reels because there's, there's a couple reels on there that like walk you through the process of, because when you say the added weight and tungsten, that's like the little pellets that you're putting in the back, right? Yeah. It's like it's
1: tungsten shot or like BBs or little balls,
0: basically that
1: um, the JP logo on the JP premiere is like an inlaid uh, stainless steel. And so, Underneath that inlaid stainless steel, as we're building it, we're able to um, funnel in these these BBs or this tungsten shot. It's very heavy and we can precisely put whatever amount we want and then we inject this epoxy that fills it up and makes it all fixed and solid. Um, so that that is a neat process. And what that also allows me to do as a custom, I started out as a builder, right, at Hot Sticks and learning uh, building and so when I when I had to build, okay, we got this length, we have this grip, this shaft. We're trying to hit this swing weight, and it's like, well, how? He- it basically boils down to how heavy the head needs to be to accomplish that, and all these different uh, counterbalances of weight and kick points and stuff. So you have to like first, let's say, okay, let's cut the wedge, the shaft to length. Let's just slide it in without gluing the head on. Let's try to maybe balance the grip on there, and then like it's just like cat and mouse game of like okay and then it's like this should be this okay the head weight i think should be a 303 grams Mm -hmm. and then when you all you build it all up you have to like this you know equation of dry building Mm -hmm. right to then get it for me i can take this i can i can glue this the the tip of the shaft epoxy it in cut it to length grip it and at the very end then i inject the weight gotcha so it's like, you know, a real seamless change. And then it's like, I can hit, I'm looking for D4, I'm, you know, we're going to hit D4, right? right? And so it's a real tight tolerance uh, that way. So that's a really unique process. And I think, you know, having that ability in custom wedges, I think custom, you know, golf clubs is, you know, really where it's at for, for that uh, avid golfer, especially, you know, lie angle a big thing, you know, getting your, making sure that the impact on the ground fits your swing um, is, is something that maybe people don't realize the importance of, so, you know, having a correct line goal. All right.
0: All right. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I want to end on, cause we I initially planned for an hour we're at one 30, <laughs> you know, like, I'm super grateful for your time, but I want to end on like, just, you know, I think that the way that you are able to get to where you are is like so cool and so amazing. And like, it sounds like a lot of you know, things end up coming together to work out. And I'm just like, super grateful to have you on the pod. Like it means a lot to me. Thank you so much. But oh, I wanted you know. to ask you a question first, the guys out that out there that are super passionate about club building and, you know, maybe want to take a step forward in that direction of pursuing it as a career path. Like what would be your advice to them or, and like maybe to even your younger self when you first started out?
1: Yeah. I mean, in the it's all about that kind of that garage shop mentality, right? So especially for uh, your, a golfer that wants to kind of, you know, put it out, put his own grips on and get a new shaft and, and really take, you know, your game to the next level and not have to, you know, maybe go to the custom shop and, and do that where, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, let's say, to, to, to do things. Um, so um, for club making, it, you know, there's, you know how to build right you don't have to have all the bells and whistles you know there's different unique ways to do things and so it's thinking outside the box um and and you know maybe i should uh create a series of how-to videos
0: (laughs) that would be (laughs) awesome that would be so cool for the reels we'll
1: call it a garage shop golf who knows Uh, (laughs) but yeah so um it's um it's a it's a great way to one to, to learn how to golf to to build golf clubs so you know um, what your, your equipment is at and you can make, you know, these necessary tweaks that can have impacts on your, on your game. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that, uh, again, the, there's a, you know, the bare minimum amount of tools in there, which probably takes some research to find out what, what you need. Um, but, um, is, is important. I think that, you know, from putting grips on and doing your loft and lies and, and being able to, um, try new shafts and, and, and do that, it doesn't take a whole lot of, a lot of a uh, big investment to be able to reshaft your clubs you just need a little know-how so that you know maybe I'll continue to put some more of that out there
0: JP thank you so much for coming on like I'm hoping hey you're based in Sania maybe we play some golf maybe we get around in I don't know
1: There we go let's do it come yeah. on up we'll we'll uh we'll show you what the the grind house is all about up here in Vista.
0: For sure would love to check it out but again thank you so much I really appreciate it You got it. it
1: Daniel thank you I appreciate having me on